0: DMC fins are the best training fins in the business. Just have a look around in everybody's kit bag on pool deck. And there's a pair of DMC fins in there. Swimmers, surfers, they're all using DMC fins as their choice of aquatic propulsion. Even superstar Cody Simpson is using DMC fins to help with his training towards Paris 2024. Head over to dmcfins.com.au right now for all the latest deals and discounts on fins as well as hand paddles and other training aids and use the promotion code OFFTHEBLOCKS for a 10% discount at checkout. Australia
1: in four, the United States in five. Off, Mackenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in six,
0: by Henry, Wallenstar, he got into the water quickly, but so did
1: Joyce, was short of Germany, was away well. They'll go to the
0: wall together. pick that one, Bloomer, and fact, ahead of Manuel, and Harris-Amenya.
1: What a shot, Peterson stamps her authority
0: on another 200 press now, now Henry is starting to come the- out Jody Henry of Australia shading Jenny Thompson has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956. Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last leg. Jody Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be a yes! victory. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to the Shannon Rollison podcast for another week. My name is Robbie Cox, and I'm your host and joined by the star of the show, as always. uh, This is week number 20, Shannon, episode number 20, Mr. Shannon Rollison. Mate, how are you?
1: Very well, Robbie. A little surprised it's 20. I think a couple of weeks ago, what was it, 16 or something? Doesn't feel like a month.
0: I know, it goes quick. (laughs) it goes quick it certainly does um but um it it hasn't felt like 20 to me that's for sure and i think that's a testament to our chats and and the the lovely guests that we've had on mate but how's your week been what what's the weather i've got to ask because it's starting to just get a bit depressing up here in sydney it's every day it's raining so what's it been like down in in canberra this week well not down in canberra robbie up in canberra sorry i apologize we're up
1: we're up the hill about six seven hundred meters
0: (laughs) god's country it's called is that what it's called i've never i've certainly never called it that's for sure it
1: doesn't go by that name but that's what it is
0: that's what it is yes (laughs) how's it been down there up there beautiful (laughs) (laughs) it's raining today
1: yep uh we had a windy weekend uh, so only, I didn't do a lot of riding on the weekend, I did, you know, quick quick uh, sort of 40 minutes and I got back inside. But um, it was supposed to rain yesterday, but it didn't. But uh, the forecast rain through to, I think, Saturday mm. and like, you know, 40 mils or something like that. But, you know, um, it's autumn. Um, the leaves are turning. They're falling. I always think that... Uh, Autumn's the best time in Canberra and um, reminds me of of Europe and uh, it doesn't feel so Australian. It feels like you're somewhere else in the Northern Hemisphere.
0: Mm. So um, I'm as happy as a pig. (laughs) Tell me, since you say it doesn't feel as Australian, what does feel more Australian to you? Would you say like being up in Queensland in a Queenslander house in summer when when you're sweating and there's no air conditioning? what, what nah. would what would feel like you know more of an australian feel um yeah certainly not up in queensland
1: um that's just hot and humid and disgusting you know mm. i don't mind uh hot and dry so uh you know that's probably the most australian isn't it you know yeah um that dry heat so and we get that here in canberra well having said that and i think i've mentioned it Last time we talked about the weather, it's been a bit humid here in Canberra over the summer, so that was a bit unusual. But, yeah, Mm. I'm a big fan of the Four Seasons. Um, (laughs) They weren't a bad band either. And, uh, (laughs) they yeah, so that's why I like where I live.
0: When you were up in Queensland, did did you ever live in a Queenslander? I'm just fascinated. We watched a TV show the other night called Grand Designs for anyone who's watches um foxtel and that sort of stuff here in, in australia um uh, listeners from outside our country there's grand designs in other countries as well on tv so you may or may not have watched this but anyway they they went and picked up uh this queenslander from uh, it's almost like a an like a car yard but for houses for old houses uh, at Burpengary, i think it is anyway this couple went in and they found their their queenslander and they picked it up and got three trucks to, to drive it to wherever they wanted to go and then they restored it and it actually came up came up looking really good. But, um, yeah, did you ever live in, in any uh, Queenslanders when you were up there? I I grew up in a house
1: where you had to um, – we didn't have colour TV until 1987 or 88. We used to take it in turns to hold the aerial to make the TV work. <laughs> it was a good day if Channel 7 worked. And we had to wet our wheat, wheat bicks with water so we didn't use too much milk. <laughs> so, no, I never lived in a Queenslander.
0: No, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, that's, um, yeah. The, I remember
1: those places you could buy them. They, they, and you're right. They were on the north side in Burpengary um, when we were coming home from the coast. And they'd be just stacked up along the road. And, yeah
0: yeah it's really oh you can pick one up for about eight between eighty thousand and like 150 yeah and they just chuck it on a truck and deliver it to wherever you want it yeah but the downside is they need a lot of restoration so uh, yeah for one i'm not very handy shannon i don't know about you so the idea is appealing until they say oh now you've got to do work on it and i am as handy as well yeah i'm not handy i don't know what the saying is is there a saying to that but I don't know it. I'm just not very handy. What would you be able to do it? No, no. I can paint. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to uh, and, finish it off. You get everyone else to do the, the work in the backyard. That's
1: that's that's me. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting though. You know, with the Queenslanders, um, yeah, like growing up, they they were all open down underneath, you know, on ground level, mm. and then over the years, people started building them in um and uh putting garages in and and you know downstairs and all that sort of stuff and then you know you've seen all the floods so you sort of think back and think well there was a reason why Queenslanders were <laughs> built up yeah and uh you know it was all open space underneath so
0: you yeah, know there's definitely a reason but um, I know your uh, history, Robbie. Yeah, that's right well, that's right. There was definitely a reason behind it. I when I lived up in Brisbane, uh, lived near Nudgee, and that was somewhat of a flooding area, but not certainly as bad as some of the other areas um, up in in Brisbane and, and in and around there. Um, it brings up another question. I don't know if I've asked this on the podcast when you came on off the blocks, or even if we've sort of crossed over it here. Where, where did you grow up as a young fella, Karina? which is uh, Southside of mm-hmm. Brisbane. We moved
1: up there, funny enough, during the 74 floods. So I moved from Sydney. Yep. So I was born uh, in the Western suburbs in Sydney, Greenacre. Yep. And um, so I was like three or something like that, just, just before my third birthday, moved up. So my parents always bought on hills. <sighs> But I um, only had two houses growing up. So, um, and uh, yeah, so Karina is near Cannon Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used to walk to Kmart Cannon Hill, which is still there. It was funny. And um, I, uh, I did a pre-Olympic trials camp up in Brisbane and uh, coached out of the Chandler pool where I was there for a long time. But stayed at Cannon Hill in the same street where I used to catch the train to go to school. And about 150 meters down the road, I learned to swim with mm-hmm. Steve Holland, who was Stephen Holland's father. Um, uh, I started my coaching about 200 meters in the opposite direction at this little 18 meter pool. So I, I did a drive by on that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and, uh, you know, we, we shopped at Kmart Cannon Hill. I was telling them about Wally Lewis' used to, parents used to have a delicatessen there. Okay. Wally Lewis' house was just, you know, I think it was opposite the old um, drive-in picture theatre, which was behind Kmart Cannon Hill, and there's a Bunnings there now. So, um, yeah, we used to gather drive-in picture theatres all the time. So good memories. It's changed. Some things have haven't changed, but a lot of things have changed as well. We were always sort of used, you know those kids a lot like of the time, yeah. You know, your parents like houses were small. Get outside, I don't want to see you to dinner time. <laughs> so you go wandering off with the dog up into the bush and yep. uh
0: you know, get yourself into all sorts of mischief. It's funny you say. South side. Um, when I moved up, I, I lived on the north side. I lived, as I said, up near, near Nudgy. Um, yeah. So you're and, either south side or north side. And different. I had no idea because I'm from Sydney. So we got up there and I was coaching a group um, at Somerset Hills. So near Chermside um, yeah. is where I was coaching. And, you know, I've always been a coach that likes to just get around. I like to travel. I like to take the swimmers to different places. And you know, when I was a youngster and when I was swimming, my parents would enjoy going to like Kayama for a weekend. You know, we just, they'd yeah. just enter me in a meet down there on a Sunday because we'd have a, a weekend away while we were there as well. So I I, I I'd booked, you know, I, I think we were going to do uh, Yoronga Park or something like that. <clears throat> oh, and you should have seen the parents straight, mate, what are we doing here going across the bridge? Mm. What do you mean? Well, we don't go across the bridge. What are you, crazy? So what's what do you want about go across the bridge? It's it's not that far. I've already looked at Google Maps. It's not like a this isn't a big trip. Yeah. And uh, and it was the first time I yeah, I realized that there was this sort of north side south side thing. Has has that always been a, a bit of a thing?
1: Oh yeah. Um it, it's funny. It's it's like that here in Canberra. It's mm. north, north of the lake or south of the lake. Mm-hmm. What is it with water? <laughs> <laughs> but um I remember, like, I uh, started swimming at Cannon Hill and we were in the Cannon Hill Swimming Club. And um, Hayley Lewis, remember Hayley Lewis? Yep, yep. She was in that and her um, family in that. And uh, there was a pile of good swimmers. Like, for us, we used to do these three-way swim meets on a Saturday night. And, you know, that, they were great swim meets. You have three clubs, six lane, twenty five meter pool, and um, you uh, <laughs> uh, you have these competitions that probably ran. You know, they started at five or five thirty, um, and uh, you get like a thirty minute warm up, and then you race, and you'd it'd be all over by eight thirty or nine. There'd be relays and um, just all fifties. I think hundred IM. Sometimes there would be like an eight-way 25-metre, so your fastest swimmer in each age group. So you'd start the eight rolls through to the 16 and overs. Yep. But we used to – we rarely got beaten, you know, as a club. I remember Vince Rally was telling me a story (laughs) in um, – on the Olympic camp when we were up in Cairns, and he goes – It was, yeah, reflecting on his career and stuff. And he said, I I started, when I started coaching, I was down at Wandle Heights. And I remember, I've still got some of these ribbons and all this sort of stuff, you know, because that's what you got then. You got a ribbon, you know, blue one, a red one, and a green one. And uh, I can remember a couple of times going to Wandle Heights and Sam Riley, who I trained with in uh, 1990 to 92, uh in a commercial in the valley there she was in that wandle heights swim club anyway so vince was saying how you know, he you know thought he was going pretty good and he had this red hot little team so he was down wandle heights is down on the bay side so it would have been in the Wyndham area yep and um so you'd sort of race against the clubs most of the times you'd race against those sorts of clubs all right and we would race uh, Cannon Hill would race against Morningside. They were quite a strong club. Um, Whites Hill, um, Holland Park, Mount Cravat, Mount Cravat East, and that's who you'd predominantly race against. But then you would go out of out of area. And Vince is saying, oh, I think Cannon Hill came down, and I thought I was going pretty good until, we, <laughs> until they rocked up and just wiped the floor with us. <laughs> and, and, um, like, I, I think from that era, oh, there was so many Australia- who went on to become Australian champions or represent Australia. It was just uh, Roy Holland, he used to send, he'd basically train you up to about the age of 12, 13, um, sometimes only 11, and if he thought you were good, he would move you on. Um, and you'd probably stay in the club for another couple of years, one or two years, but he'd move you on to Laurie Lawrence or um, Joe King or uh, the, the Chandler Swim Club. Mm. That's where I went after Cannon Hill and Haley Lewis went to the Chandler Swim Club. So um, I remember probably only on a, uh, I've, I remember racing at Everton Park uh, and there was another club over that way, maybe Bracken Ridge, mm-hmm. um, but probably only once every two years or something you'd do that sort of thing. And yep. you were almost like it was a different country, you know. <laughs> You'd never seen those swimmers before. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, only because I've been—I coached up there too, and and you know, um, not not to you know, not to any huge level, but I, I can understand what you're talking about. I know the stories because, yeah, Somerset Hills is where I coached when I first went up to um, to Brisbane, and I think I've told this on the podcast before. You know, no one from Sydney knows what that's – it's it's a very foreign concept, that whole um, state school pools, 25 yeah. metres. The lanes aren't even proper lanes sizes, are they? Like you, yeah. you can really only – if you are got to put your lane ropes in, you really only get one person in there unless you've got a junior squad. Um, but, yeah, you're right. And then your club races other clubs. So we were always like with Nunda or Aspley or there's a few other places around or you would travel. Um, to different ones. But uh, well, when yeah, I
1: started at Cannon Hill,
0: yeah,
1: it wasn't the Cannon Hill Convent because that's where the Cannon Hill Swim Club is based out of. It's still there. I was at the Cannon Hill State School, which was only 18 metres long. Mm. So I didn't even have a club. I used to put my – I had 12 swimmers and we joined the Cannon Hill Club. And then from there, I actually got, a, I got upgraded to the Camp Hill Swim Club. Mm. And that was a um, – that was a good little club, and I was there for uh, probably two and a half years, and um, uh, and that was sort of you, you really cut your teeth when you're in there because, you know, you, you you got a lane, uh, a pool full of just absolutely chockers full of junior kids, you know, yeah. and, um, and it's like, like I can remember, you know, how it's always 10 seconds apart. Mm. Well, back in those... It'd be five seconds apart <laughs> and sometimes if you're towards the end, it was two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> That's how many kids were in the pool. So, um, it, but it was really good when you were young because you learned how to manage a lot of people in a con- confined area, you know, and I remember going away back then in those days. I used to, I was still swimming. Um, I was trying to juggle both and uh, I was only you know, I was only training once a day, but um, because I was still training in there at the valley uh, and Michael Bowl and Scott Volkers were the coaching directors for Queensland Swimming and on weekends they would have to go out and they would, I, I was their sort of sidekick, lackey, and um, and uh, I remember on one occasion we went to Innisfail and Dean Boxel was the swimmer because you'd, you'd take a two swimmers, mm. um, male and a female, and you off you'd go and you'd run a clinic all weekend. And, like, sometimes I remember driving out to Roma and, and St. George um, with Scott and you'd be just, you know, I forget how long it takes. But it was a fair hike. <laughs> the whole weekend you'd be working or driving and you'd get back late Sunday night and then, boom, you're into the next week. <laughs> um but yeah. I I can remember um uh, taking the lead on one of the camps. It was with Bowley, because there was just so many kids. And I said, Oh no, I got this. It's like 45 kids. <laughs> so how'd
0: that go? Did you you pulled it through?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because it was just like coaching your juniors, you know. And Bowley, like at that time, um he probably had, you know. 20 swimmers all up, you know, so, um, and it's, it'd be the same as if I was to go and do it now. It's been so long since I've had those that sort of numbers. I'd be like, oh, what did we do here again, you know?
0: So. <laughs> I think um, Tomo told me once when, uh, when I was starting, because I started coaching with him when I was like 15 and, and, you know, we sometimes you talk too much as a young coach because, you know, the kids, you know, you're not that old yourself, so you sort of get a bit too engaged in a conversation. Yeah, you go. got and to he, Yeah, and he said, look, get them going, and you're basically a traffic cop. Yeah. Don't, leave on this time, get in on the wall, keep moving. This is the clock, way you go, way you go. There's not an awful lot of um, stroke correcting. You do what you can yeah. along the way, but more often than not, you want everyone to walk away going, oh, that was a really good session. There wasn't any holdups." and, you yeah. know, yeah, there's an art to it. That's for sure. It's not as easy as it sounds. No, and you've got to really coach the group.
1: So, as you say, you've got to keep them moving. And that's where I think drills are really important. And um, and drills will keep a lot of people uh, in check if they're doing the drill correctly. And if you're providing them, you know, I'm not a big fan of really tricky, uh, fuzzy-wuzzy Drills, you know, like what's fuzzy what I- wuzzy drills. Yeah, that's what I call them. Fuzzy Wuzzy. You know, like what is the purpose of this?
0: And, um gotta make a shirt. We gotta make a shirt of that. Some fuzzy wuzzy drills. <laughs> Shannon Rollison's fuzzy wuzzy drills. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so I've
1: always sort of had this common theme of drills throughout you know the 30 years I've coached and um um They've kept, I I believe, kept them in check, and also you don't overcoach when you when you do that. And I remember talking to Damien Farrow, who was a skill act guy, and um, and I just started with him, in and he hadn't worked with swimming before, so um, he he, he came from he was he came from tennis and AFL, and um, and he actually do, doesn't believe in drills. So he asked me about them and why do I use them, and I explained to him, and he could sort of see, okay, yeah, I can see that in in that predicament. And I remember um, he uh, Jody had just started training with John Fowley, and they were doing lots and lots of really stopping and starting and stroke work and um, uh, videoing and filming and. A lot more than what I had done. And when I was at Channel, I didn't video anybody. Mm. Um, it just, it was just too many swimmers. Um, you'd only get accused of favoritism. So I just <laughs> didn't do it, you know? Yeah. So a lot of the swimmers that swam with me, when I looked back when I was learning about Skill Act, I saw, okay, well, a, a swimmer had come in and trained with me for a year or two and then go. They, they, their learning style, I didn't know it at the time, but their learning style was probably more um, uh, visual and they needed filming or kinesthetic. Um, but what you really needed to be quite good at it when I was at Chandler and probably all you know, throughout my career really, um, but definitely when I was at Chandler, was audio. Yeah. I didn't be a good listener. Yeah. Um, because of of the size of the group, the busy, busyness of the pool deck. Um, and uh, so when I was, you know, I was chatting to Damien and, and I remember Damien saying, oh, you know, what do you think of of what's going on with Joden and, and John? And he, John only had like, it was Jodie, Jade Edmonston and one other, it was like three people. And I said, oh, well, it's, you know, different to what, she's been exposed to. And he said, Oh, what do you mean? So I explained it. And he said, Oh, that's intrinsic learning. I said, excuse me. Mm. Anyway, And he was, he, so he explained what I was, um, yeah, the style that I was coaching not, and I didn't know it, but he said that's intrinsic learning. And the thing about intrinsic learning is it holds up under pressure mm. And so I think it's really important to um, to remember as a coach that, and it's one of the things that you've got to, as you coach a smaller group, you've got to be aware of as well. You know, um, yeah, you know, some of my swimmers are like, "Oh, we should be practicing turns more." You know, well, we've just done five k. You've just done ninety nine of them, <laughs> and uh, the three that we do at the end of the end of the training session is not. Going to water down those ninety-nine bad ones you've just done, <laughs> and I said it. I only said it yesterday. You know, yeah. if you're lifting your head, and you go in a turn. Mm. Uh, you know, obviously talking about a fly to back or a fly turn or a breaststroke turn. If I see it in training, I'm going to see it in a race. Mm. You know, oh, I don't do it when I'm fatigued. Yeah, well, that third turn in that two hundred. Or that seventh one in a short course race, you're going to be turning slow because yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, we can get, we don't always have to have all the bells and whistles, you know, and yeah. uh, the bells and whistles can actually be t- to your detriment, um, which surprised me when Matabood wanted to come and swim with me because um, there was no bells and whistles, there's all these little kids. The blocks were too short, you know, they they ordered the wrong blocks, typical Canberra, and, um, you know, and he'd had all the bells and whistles, so I thought he'd be looking for the bells and whistles, but actually he he got to the point in his career, he didn't want any more bells and whistles. He just wanted to go back to the bread and butter.
0: Mm. What you just said then reminded me of one of my favourite quotes, which is how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. so you know to your point you know sometimes people think oh it's just the warm-up it doesn't matter yeah. or it's just this it doesn't matter you know swimming into the wall how often do you see swimmers these days well we shouldn't because if i've got my swimmers doing well they shouldn't be doing it, but they, i've still got a few that do it uh surprised the hell out of me shannon that boy who won 100 breaststroke at junior state because he doesn't know what a wall looks like he's allergic to a wall but he managed to touch out touch everybody else. So I don't I don't know where that came from. I still think it was a mistake. But yeah, how you do anything is how you do everything. Um mate, I, I can't go past you you said you've got a few drills. For the listeners out there, don't give away too many trade secrets, mate. But have you got have you got a few drills that you you really um you know you've you've kept all the way through your career because you, you believe they are that sort of foundation of the techniques that you're looking for?
1: Yeah, so um, if we start, going in the order, butterfly, mm-hmm. um, the couple that I use, you know, one, one, and one, which is just left arm, right arm, double arm. Yep. Um, and two, two, and two, so two left, two right, two double. And then I'll I'll change them around. So so sometimes it'll be Brit um, and Brit. By the way, I, I never do single-arm fly breathing to the front. It c- creates more problems. I mm-hmm. so always breathe to the side on single arm. Um, and so sometimes they'll, I'll say, right, we're breathing on our single arms, not on our double arms, or I'll flip it and go, no breath on the single, only breathe on the double. Yep. Um, and the other drill in fly would be one stroke, three kicks, out in front, so I, and um, so, I'm working on the keyhole mm-hmm. when I'm doing that drill. Uh, when I'm doing single arm, um, it, I'll, I'll say, look, we're, we're focusing on our second kick or um, we might be focusing on our f- first kick. So whenever I do those sorts of drills, there's always a, this is what I want you to work on. Yeah. Um, backstroke. Yeah, the old one, uh, six kicks, change arms, three strokes, stop, six kicks. And another one would be rotation. Um, so you, you take one stroke, finish that stroke, shoulder rotates out of the water mm-hmm. and shoulder drops back under the water and then change arms. So it's a, it's a real rotational drill. Um, the uh, breaststroke, Oh, I've got, I actually of all the strokes, breaststroke's the one I've got the most drills. Um, but you know, just the the basic ones would be um, that I've used all the time: one pull, two kicks, mm-hmm. um, two pulls, one kick. So that'd be pull with with a dolphin kick, another pull with a dolphin kick, and then on the third pull. You try and add the breaststroke kick, so so you, it, it gets your rhythm going, and you've got to bring your feet up early, you know, so that they're not dragging behind, and get that. You, you the two pulls create the tempo, and then you've got to get the kick in. Um, and I always do pull with a dolphin kick. I never do pull uh, flat. Yeah, um, because I'm always sort of conscious of of the timing. Um, the, yeah, so that'd be the two. And then oh, a good one um, that I've probably just done in the past, well, since I've since my Denmark days, but I found it really, really good for young juniors. Um, and when I started up the program at uh, Canberra, at the Canberra Club, I was really just, you know how, you look at the group and you go, oh, yeah, they're not getting the hips up or, you know, so I always try and use drills to fix, you know, the problems of the group. Anyway, Mm -hmm. they were all choo-chooing, you know, in their breaststroke, which is sort of pulling back too far. I call it choo-choo trains. (laughs) And um, so, you know, I gave them like left arm, right arm, double arm, and that I was surprised, uh, you know, because at that point, you know, I'd been... You know, only coaching, um, oh, I'd been like 11, 12 years where I'd only coaching, um, Elite. And, um, Rega used to do that drill quite a bit left, right, double. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the other arm stays out in front. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good coordination drill for, you know, because that arm wants to move. Mm-hmm. So you've got to keep that still. Um, And um, anyway, I just sort of thought, I'll try that with with these juniors. (laughs) It worked like a treat. Like within probably two weeks, I didn't have the choo-choo problem anymore. Um, Just fixed it really well. And what I found also was junior swimmers who are exposed to drills, and this is what I said to Damian Farrow, was it's like it's the coordination it's learning coordination in the water yeah. and, um, you know, you can come up with a lot of coordination sort of exercises on land and that's all well and good and that's in, in programs. But how do you translate that coordination into a foreign environment in a foreign um, position being horizontal? You know, we're, we're vertical people. And, you know, so that's why, you know, you might film something and you show someone and they go, oh, I didn't think my hand was entering Yeah. My left hand. I didn't think my left hand was entering on my right shoulder. You know, so, and then we say, well, I want you to over-exaggerate it, and then they put it in the right place. Yeah. Um, and I just found that junior swimmers who have done drills in their program... Uh, their awareness in the water is better than those that haven't. Um, so, and then, you know, from from those sort of, well, I've given you three drills in breaststroke. There's all sorts of complicated ones, but they're more so for a senior athlete, you know. Um, and, and you yeah, know, the trick is not to get too tricky, but mm. um, I, I certainly think breaststroke lends itself to more drills than the other three strokes. Then in freestyle, um, single arm freestyle, generally um, not with the arm out in front because you end up swimmers swimming on their side. um, They drop their elbow. So I do a lot of single arm freestyle with the opposite arm by their side. So Mm -hmm. we'll go three left arm so there's no breathing. Breathe to the right and then change arms to the right on that post that breath. And that's a rotational drill like um, backstroke. Mm -hmm. So when their left arm enters the water, their right shoulder's got to come out of the water every time. So we'll go three strokes, breathe on the third, change to that side. Um, The other one, which is a good six-beat kick drill, is uh, two-stroke stop six kicks. So that continuous kicking. Mm -hmm. Um, That'd be the two uh, fundamental Freestyle drills, there's a few others, but they're the, the bread and butter ones. Um, the two-stroke stop-six kicks, like Joe, just would have done heaps of that, and anyone who was a sprint freestyler with me. Felicity Galvez, when I started coaching her, she couldn't – she she was like a two-and-three-thirds fr- freestyle kicker. <laughs> it just wasn't a two-beat kick. It wasn't a four-beat. It was like a fruit salad. And um, so she said to me, um, can I teach her how to do a six-beat freestyle kick? And I said, yeah. And she wasn't that good at free. Um, And um, I said, yeah, as long as you work on your second kick in your fly because she had a weak second kick in a butterfly. Um, And uh, so we did a deal. And that drill basically, two-stroke stop, stop six-kicks drill, taught her how to do a six-beat freestyle. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so, but like anything, and as you just said, how you do those drills. Like, so, you know, so when when I do drilling with my juniors and all that, that's almost the most important part of the session. And every single day there'd be drill. And it'd be a precursor to the complete stroke. Yeah, But everybody knew that drill meant do it properly because I was on their back about it. Mm. I didn't give them drill and then I ne- and always gave drill over short distance, like 25s. And so a bread, bread and butter set would be like 16, 25s on 45. So plenty of rest, very good application. I'd never give young kids 200 meters of drill. Yeah. It's it's too hard to do correctly. It gets sloppy, you know, and it says all the wrong messages. You know, how many programs you see, they give 200 drill or 400 drill and they go off and talk to someone. (laughs) Yeah, so the swimmers go, well, this can't be that important. Yeah. So what you do on pool deck is a reflection of the importance, isn't it? You know, Mm. so... And I can remember yeah, that, that
0: saying is the same for us as coaches as it is to the swimmers. Yeah. How you do anything is how you do everything.
1: Yeah. And I remember um, uh, when I was in Denmark and Janetta Ottison, she had a really sort of lopey recovery in a fly. And we changed that just by doing one-arm drill. But to her credit, she did it exceptionally well. Um, like she would bring that one arm would come across the water. Yep. Yeah. Like just skimming across the top, uh, very good kick application, breathing, all of that, and it took probably I oh, can't remember now, but probably uh, you know five to six months, and that I, I would credit that drill alone to changing her recovery pattern um, in her fly, and she's you know we're talking about someone who uh, must have been 25, 26 when I started coaching her. So, you know, not always easy to change when you're that age. Um, but as I said, to her credit, she applied herself really well and, and was able to do that just on a – there's no filming, just doing drills, doing them correctly, and yeah
0: going back to what sort of Stephen tig talked about wasn't it and sort of you know when you've got a swimmer that comes in or you start working with them and you've got to look at how you're working with okay this is what we want so somewhat you've got to break them down without breaking them down and and to your point now obviously drills are a really good way of implementing that and it, it reminded me a big lesson i learned in terms of drills when i was at somerset hills that we just talked about before and drew um, came out to have a look at the squad, which blew my mind because he's, a, he's a, a Queensland swimming coach who's just coming out to look at a little state school pool. Yeah. So I was already, you know, oh, shit, all right, here we go. And and we were just doing drills with the junior swimmers, like, um, you know, just catch up with the board, like with the really little swimmers coming through, yeah. you know, at the state school pools. We literally had a learn to swim sort of section in two lanes here and then they'd come into squad. So yeah. it really was junior-based. But um yeah he would sort of say well why are we doing this and i thought okay well i i knew it was kind of like a lazy answer really like i knew if they did catch up freestyle it would still look okay if you know what i mean it would still you know holding the board everything would look tidy and it was kind of as you sort of said it was all right here's your drill and you can then kind of just go about your your time as a coach and you're not really you know dialing in as much where you know when he sort of challenged me on that and then i had to think about okay and you know he sort of explained why he said i don't i'm not against catch up as a drill just uh in an, in a specific time for one swimmer to help fix something yeah but to use this as just a generic <laughs> drill is kind of just like you know it's a little bit lazy and you're kind of giving all these swimmers a bit of bad habits now they're not rotating and yeah. and, and getting that timing so uh, yeah i learned a lot through that and he did it in a in a really nice way too which was always good because it didn't feel like oh shit now i don't know what i'm talking you know so it, it educated me but then from there you know now as you said the drills that are in our warm-up are all about the stroke that we want to be using and the technique we want to use in the main set so you know to your point we we do a lot of um at the moment snorkel on kick um freestyle kick rotating shoulders through so just getting good timing arms down by your side that goes into single arm yeah. and then that goes into freestyle you know descend your stroke counts one to four or something like that i'm not professing to say that follow my how do you hear you guys? <laughs> Shannon guys shannon's podcast but more i'm just trying to you know give the uh you know the example here of of learning to connect the dots a little bit more rather than just sort of blindly you know i only did catch up and all this because that's when i was younger that's what we did in those squads so i just thought okay well that's obviously a good drill let's just do that starting to connect the dots as you said and then now obviously the swimmers are getting more benefit from it
1: yeah like um and and, you know that question he asks you he would have just wanted to know why and mm. as long as you could have said this is why then yeah. the drill's fine yeah um and it's you know Drew started he was a learn to swim coach uh, at Chandler um and uh <laughs> you know you'd, you'd have young coaches you know I was a young coach but you know you'd have coaches happen to do their hours and they they'd come along and um, yeah, Queens End swimming you'd give, I don't know, probably a list of 10 people. Then wherever you, are know, where where do you live? Oh, you live near on the south side, oh, you go to these couple of coaches. And coaches had come along and you know, I, I forget, I think they had to do about 40 hours or something like that. Mm. And um yeah, a lot of the time they wouldn't do them all, or you, you know, they were annoying, you just sign them off, get them out of your hair <laughs> after after they've done 20. But Drew, um, he was doing his hours, so he was in the learn to swim, um, and he came along, and I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, fine, fine." Anyway, I, he must have done his forty hours in two weeks, like <laughs> shortest time ever, and um, his timing couldn't have been better because it was that year that I was coaching the the whole club on my own. Yeah, and um, so I was, we were looking for someone. And I thought, well, if, if anything, this guy's just keen. I like the fact that he'd come from Learn to Swim and um, he was rocking up more than he needed to. So I said, well, do you want a job? But I, I can remember saying to Drew, well, why are you doing that drill? You know, mm. like if you've got a, if, if your swimmers um, have, have, can't get their hips up in fly, then you give them a drill that's going to help them get their hips up. You don't give them a drill that's going to make it hard for them to get their hips up, you know. So as long as you've got a reason behind things, um, you can't go wrong. you just got to ask, ask yourself the question, what am I trying to achieve?
0: Yeah. And that question, you know, for all the younger coaches out there, um, and, and I talk to my sort of assistant coaches about this a lot when they, you know, They want to be innovative. They want to do something different. They're coming up with something a bit funky, which is always good. I understand the idea behind it. Fuzzy Um, fuzzy. wuzzy. Hey, yeah, a bit of fuzzy wuzzy stuff. I don't mind it. But to your point, why are we doing this? Do do your swimmers, have you identified something that, you know, the swimmers need to get better and this is going to help that? Or are we just doing this for the sake of, you know, showing that we're doing something different and the kids are going to go, oh, wow, that's different, Hmm. where really we've just, you know, We've not progressed, and we've if not if not made it better, we've made it maybe worse.
1: Yeah, you know what I used to do with my juniors, talking about fuzzy wuzzy. <laughs> here's a good example. Of, here's good fuzzy wuzzy.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I think we started doing it in winter or something. You know, because um, you've got a, you've got a bit of leeway in winter, haven't you? You know, you can fix things and mm-hmm. do things a little bit different. Maybe have the odd get out swim. Um, my brother, when he was coaching with me, he was a big fan of the get-out swim, so that, that's so that he could get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll be like, Nathan, this is the third time this week. Yeah, get the showers early. <laughs> so um, um, anyway, uh, it must have been about mid-90s sometime, you know, Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was on last night, Fallout or something. Mm. So, uh, Anyway, so so it was a Friday afternoon. We'd done everything in the week. And I thought, oh, they needed needed something a bit different. So I I came up with this thing called Mission Impossible. And really what it was, it was a learning drill. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, a listening drill. So I would say it once. I would then repeat it once. And then that was it. And then I would select someone from the junior group. And then they'd have to remember. And it would be like, it could, it, you know, I, I, I thought it was a one-off thing. <laughs> turned into a, a weekly event. And then in summer, I'd have to sort of, no, 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 no Mission Impossible this week. We'll do it next week. <laughs> yeah. Everyone would turn up on Friday for Mission Impossible. And, and it was amazing. As soon as, because as soon as you got it wrong, you're out. As yeah. in, not out, out, but you were on the sideline. And then the next kid would go in and try and get it right and if they got it right they get to the end and then they could actually get out mm-hmm. and uh, anyway it, it for example it might be all right um, safety jump into lanes in lane six uh, dog paddle to the 15 meter mark go under the water come up in lane eight backstroke <laughs> To the twenty-five. So if they backstroke past the
0: twenty-five, that's it. Wrong, and yeah, you know, some
1: <laughs> some nine-year-old would be like did it wrong.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, they're always they were all over at the youngsters.
1: Yeah, so it was it was fifty meters of basically what I could come up with in my head. It was like an adventure playground. You know. Mm. Well, was that thing popular? Far out. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway. All good, because sometimes, yeah, you do have to have that sort of yeah. stuff in there. But, again, it was serving a purpose. It wasn't uh, filling in space. Um, so, anyway.
0: Yeah, no, there's, there's many games and <clears throat> as coaches listen to this, I'm sure they've all come up with different ways of doing things. I remember I used to do um, sort of my 50s at max or whatever, you know, maybe ten fifties at max, <clears throat> but I did it as hangman so every time you missed your time you started i started hanging the hanging the guy up in a string i don't know there was a certain way i did i can't even remember haven't done it in such a long time because i don't know if it's politically correct now to draw hanging people up on a whiteboard but mm. we, we had uh yeah hangman in different ways but <clears throat> no i like that one especially because it's over 50 meters so that that challenges you as a coach to come up with yeah, You've only got one lap, Shannon. You would have given yourself at least 100.
1: Then you've got to do it the next week. It's got to be different because you can't do the same <laughs> yeah. because then they will
0: remember it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. No, but I, I'm glad we we sort of doubled down on the drills because it's, it's something that I think, uh, you know, coaches, as we've talked about, you know, having those staples in your program and, um, you know, I'm sure what we just talked about then, most coaches – have either done or are implementing right now in their program as well. So even for those guys and, and girls, it's for them to be able to go, oh, okay, well, you know, just because it's not an elaborate, um, you know, drill that we need someone coming in and videoing because we've, you know, we've reinvented the wheel uh, doesn't mean it's not working. Uh, doesn't yeah. It doesn't mean it's not um, effective, which which it absolutely is. Mate, I've decided because, and we're going to get to it a little bit at the end, but this is going to be our last podcast for a little while. We're going to have a break. Um, and as we've kind of gone through this, Shannon and I are winging it somewhat. Um, so we're we're recording this on the day that we're going to speak to, hopefully. Shannon's going to give this shits because I'm going to say it again. But we're supposed to be talking to David Marsh. Now, if all's gone well, you've already heard his episode last week. So we, we've kind of, you know, we're rolling with the punches here. And we just, you know, I'd had about three coffees. So I thought, no, we can wing this. We can We can get through an episode without having any super specific stuff. So what I've, what I've decided already, Sharon, Shannon, I'm going to call this down memory lane because we started talking about your home and where you came from and yeah. certain, how we've started building things. So I, I wanted to ask about cars. You're a big lover of cars. We've never really talked about it on the podcast, probably more so because I have zero knowledge on it. So I didn't want to show my uh, lack of knowledge. But talk to me about where did your love of cars come from? Because obviously, you're still very much into them. you You've, it, did you do you still have the mini or is it gone?
1: Yeah, sold the mini uh just before Christmas. Okay. So it's the third uh 60s mini Cooper S that I've owned in the last uh 12 years. Yeah. So I bought my first one from a guy in Sydney at um Castle it's Castle Maine.
0: I'm not sure where that is.
1: Castle Foot. Hmm. Anyway, um That was a a good one. Um, It was uh, white with a special burgundy roof, 1968, Mm. Uh, and it had the flares on it because it was sold out of Adelaide. And the last run of those Mark 1s, all my Cooper S's have been Mark 1s, to get them out the door, they put the flares on them because that's what the Mark 2s had. Yep. And then I, um, about 18 months later, uh we made the decision to go to Denmark and the guy who owned the car was an older guy, uh Brian, I think his name was. And uh he rang me. He saw the newspaper article and out of the blue he rang me. He said, well what are you doing with with the car? I said, oh to be honest, I don't know yet, because it would only just all so to
0: clarify, he didn't see an ad in the paper for a car up for sale. No. He saw an article about you moving to Denmark and yeah. he's gone straight for the car, like, hey, what are you doing with that car? Yeah.
1: So yeah. he bought it back off me, <laughs> um, which, so that was a problem that I thought, oh, that's...
0: Uh, well, there's a solution.
1: Yeah, there's a solution. and Because, you know, you've got to do your due diligence on those um, older minis and make sure they're proper ones and... Mm. All the numbers and all that so it's not like you just decide to go and buy one so there's a f- bit of effort involved and to be honest it you know i like the chase <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway um so that all worked out I, I go to denmark and then i came back and um uh i had an itch to to buy another one and because i always wanted one when i was younger and my, my dad was in the car game and he said, no, nah, no, nah, they're too much um, to look after, um, you yeah, know. blah blah blah. So maybe that always, um, yeah, I always wanted one because yeah. I had one when I was young. I, I, and I love the history of, of them. You know, they're they're a giant killer. They're the underdog. I love all that. You know, the yeah, you know, that Australian, you know, underdog type." thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that always sort of appeals to me. So um, you know, they won Bathurst. So I always like that, the racing history, uh, like cars that have had a racing history. And um so then I bought my second one from a guy who's a mechanic in Sydney, um and very good mechanic in Sydney. And uh bought that off him and he races minis and stuff. And then I went to Edinburgh, and um, so that was a same colour scheme, same year sixty eight, but it was um, didn't have the uh, guards, and that was um, uh, sold that to a a dealer, a classic car dealer, and um, and then when I came back from Edinburgh, I bought my third one, which was thankfully not the same colour. and uh, I bought that from a guy uh, in Nowra uh, that had all its history. It was owned by a racing guy who raced minis in the 70s and 80s. And, um, yeah, so – and then um, there was an Australian guy who um, had been living in the US, and he found out I had it, and I never – all three minis I've never actually marketed to sell. It's just been word of mouth. And he'd always wanted a, uh, a Cooper S and, he, and I said, well, if I've still got it when you come back, you know, you can have a look at it and if you want to buy it, you can buy it. And so 18 months went by and he came back to Australia and he bought it late last year. But it all came from probably my dad, really. My dad was in the cars. He was in um, – he used to – he was a wholesale um, Brisbane Motor Auctions. Yep, he didn't deal with the public, but he, he dealt with other dealers and stuff. And um, he worked for a company which was called back then BMA, which okay. was, um, Brisbane Motor Auctions. So he would come home with different cars all the time, you know. And um, and then I I was you know I was just a normal kid in the seventies who loved Matchbox cars, and I've got a I've still got my a collection of Matchbox cars. I go when I go around, you know, if I, if I go out into Braidwood or anywhere um, down the coast or when I'm in Germany and World Cups, I'll go looking for antiques and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, get old matchbox cars. If I come across them, I'll buy them. And if I'm in Sydney, I'll go to some places that I know. So um, anything to do with cars, I'm into. So slot cars, I'm into slot car racing and so, yeah, so don't ask me how many cars I've had, probably <laughs> 60 plus. And any swimmer who's ever swum with me, they can attest to it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I want to ask because obviously I know you're a Peter Brock fan, you're a big P- fan yeah. of, of um, you know, what he was able to do and achieve. Michael Schumacher. Did you ever think about driving yourself? Have you ever had any races yourself? Just go-karts or, I mean... In the
1: 90s and early 2000s, I used to go to the Willowbank Raceway to drag racing. So um, I had a 77 Tirana SS with a 400 Chev, big block in it, two-speed power glide, nine-inch diff. <laughs> <laughs> See, so, this is, um, this
0: is where you're talking a different language to me now, Shant. Now, there's people out there. So, this is why I wanted to bring it up because there's people that listen that are probably getting excited about what you just said. They understand it. They, or they, you know, they, but so I didn't want to just, you know, bring my lack of knowledge make the show go down. <laughs> I want to, I want to get it out there, but, um, I
1: always love European cars though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Cause just, um, you could bang for your buck. Like I used to have, and I actually, it's funny on the weekend, we had the Italian car show in Canberra. Great. You don't have to be a car person to enjoy the Italian car show Mm. every year. It's on. And uh, there's a a lot of the times over the years, it was always on when nationals were on. And I was just like, don't. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, anyway, um, it's it's probably the, the best car show I've ever been to. Um, and you get all the Lamborghinis and the Countaches and the Ferraris and all the high-end stuff, but you also get the Fiat 500s and old and new. Anyway, on the weekend, I got Elizabeth to take a photo of me beside this Fiat 125, and it's a it's a boxy Fiat from the 60s, and mm-hmm. I it was the first European car that I don't uh, ever had, and uh, it was like a green color with a brown interior. And we used to drive from Brisbane down to uh Yamba and uh, and Gowry and stuff with, with my mates. And um, I remember that that yeah you know, there'd be probably like four or five cars going down. And I remember rocking up in that and they were just giving me curry, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> they're all in their, their Japanese Mazdas and yeah. Toyota Celicas and stuff. And, and, uh, I'm in this shoebox, box, but, it, but they had a 1600 twin cam, four wheel disc brakes. Um, and, uh, they, they just, they just went a lot quicker than what they looked. They braked really well. So I've always got a soft spot for, uh, for sixties, seventies, uh, european italian stuff so
0: it's funny you say the fiat that's what when we drove around in um, in europe for our honeymoon we went from we, we we yeah we drove everywhere we didn't fly anywhere or, or we, we drove and we had a little fiat two-door I, I i don't know enough about cars to know exactly what it was i'm sure you could probably work out what a, a rental little fiat two-door yeah. thing was but I, that thing went well mm. That thing went well on the highways. I mean, we flogged this, we flogged that thing. That were, that thing went everywhere, probably a lot further than it's meant to go for a rental. But
1: yeah, well, they always went well. That era went well because of um, petrol prices were really high. Yeah, and there was a tax on on um, your capacity of your car, you know, or tax or, or or rego was dearer. So the Italians came up with producing a lot of horsepower for a small displacement. And um, so that's why, you know, they could be a 1300 or a 1600, but they were twin cam when everything else of that era was sort of single or they were twin carbies. So they they produced a lot of horsepower for the size of the motor. They revved really well. They they drove really well. And that's what always used to appeal to me. So, um, you yeah, know, whereas... Yeah there's no way as a youngster you could get get around a 308 Holden V8 you know with the petrol mm. and sort of money you were on as a as a junior
0: coach we well, probably can't do it today either with the petrol the, yeah. the the way the petrol was the other day we're um a, you know this and I don't know if the listeners have I've mentioned it but we're we're taking out a motorhome in in after nationals we're going for 10 days and the most the thing that I'm most worried about is just the the petrol prices what's this going to cost me to travel around at the moment but yeah no that the little fiat's, um yeah I wouldn't be I wouldn't be um worried about driving those around again I, I thought that was a good little car mate. Right, the other thing that i you know knowing you and we haven't touched on before but um is your your, your beers you, you like your beers you like to try different things
1: yeah brant best and i on the fellowship of the beer <laughs> the
0: fellowship of the, so where did that come from because for me like i'm always some i'm a creature of ha- a habit a creature of comfort so once i find something i like that's it i Ah. You know, I probably should be outside my comfort zone a little bit more. But once I, no, I think, no, I like this. So I know if I have it, I'm not going to be disappointed. But you strike me as someone who's just always on the lookout for, you know, okay, what's this taste like? What's that? Yeah. Where, where did that sort of come from? And talk to me about what, what sort of beers do you enjoy The mo- in, in moderation, of course, people, just for anyone listening?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, I wish I could be more like you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> David don't wish that Shannon don't wish that
1: <laughs> Nick Juba um Nick Juba was the head coach of Denmark when I was uh, in Denmark um and uh, he was a British guy and Nick and I got on like a house on fire really funny bite and uh anyway um he just said to me he said Shannon you've got a questioning mind mm. and that's really uh unfortunately <laughs> whether I'm coaching, and it served me well in coaching, I must admit. Yeah. Um, I'm always interested in why things work and what if we did this and all that, and I'm a bit the same with my cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder what that drives like. Um, yeah. <laughs> and beer has is the same, wine. Um, but having said that, uh, and Brant Best, you know, Brant was the same. So, yeah, so we, we were just buy a different beer when wherever we went to um and then after that if we liked it we had another one or we'd Mm. go back to something so that's where it came it's just the personality i am um but it does spread to more than just swimming coaching having said that i and i was actually i was at a wedding a couple weeks ago and we were talking about wines and uh beers and stuff and i said I'm actually find myself. I've I've gone off the pale ale, and and I'm I just buy Stella, and every now and again now I'll, you know, just try something. But you know, whereas once upon a time I was just constantly. So whether I'm getting, you know, maybe because I've I'm over the age of fifty, um, I'm I'm getting boring or something. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just drinking lager a lot more now. Yeah. Um,
0: well, for yeah, you know, for, for all the listeners, that I first sort of how I know this is because I, I I went down to spend a few days with Shannon um, coaching and I went to have a chat with him and we went out um, I can't remember where where you took me, to Shannon, but um, it was- Yeah, the coffee shop's two before 10,
1: and uh, the beer the, uh, the other end it's an old school. yeah and uh, the other end is um oh my God. I've got a mind blank. <laughs> Two before 10. Ah,
0: and... oh, bugger. Well, wherever it was, all, all I remember was uh, we sat down and we started, you know, chatting away and Shannon said, you want a drink? Yep, yeah, yeah, all right. So he ordered it because I was assuming he knew where we were, like he'd been there, so he knew what to get. So, you know, Shannon's the boss, so I just go with it. Yeah, all right. Uh, and then we're ready for another one. Yeah, all again, all in moderation, guys. But we're we're doing professional development. We're talking about sets, and you know, we're solving the world's problems, <laughs> of course. And uh, but what? Yeah, what shocked me was Shannon was like, "All right, what, what do you want next?" I said, "What do you mean, what will all want next?" I'm like, oh, never. Let's let's. Uh, I haven't tried this one. Let's try this one." And I that was the first time I think ever that I've been out having drinks with someone where it was. We're just going to try different stuff. Usually it's, what do you want? All right, this is my order, and away we go. But um, I, I enjoyed it because, yeah, there was one, one of the, I can't remember what it was, but. Um, Hawkey's. Uh, pardon? Hawkey's. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Hawkey's Lager. Um, yeah, and, that was nice. Yeah, and then there's a pale ale and it's, you know, Bob Hawks on the logo. Yep. Quite a good beer, actually.
0: Yeah. yeah it's funny,
1: I, I thought it would be everywhere, but. People outside of Canberra, there's a few people that haven't never heard of it, so I don't know. I can work out where it's from.
0: I would assume for a beer company it would be hard to get into everywhere though now with the amount of beers that are out Mm. everywhere. Like even I'm a fan of 150 Lashes, that's not everywhere on tap. Sometimes they go, have you got one? No, we don't. So um, I I guess it it would be hard to, to get out and about, especially... Uh, It's not not a long term business, is it? That one that's not been around for that long. Hawkeys, yeah.
1: No, no, it's only, yeah, it's probably two, three, maybe four years old. But yeah, Canberra's got two good beers Bent Spoke, um, the two companies, and uh, the other one's called Capital Ale. Um, so if people are ever in Canberra and they want to try something different, um, there's plenty to choose from in those two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, yeah, as I said, I thought, you know, this is our 20th episode, Shannon, and although we've sort of uh, alluded to things like cars and and things like that before, we'd never really dived into, you know, you're away from the pool. So I'm glad we got to do that. Now, um, we're going to look at wrapping it up in a second. uh, And and I just wanted to, uh, I guess, let everybody know that, yeah, this will be our last episode for a while. Uh, For me personally, I'm about to head down to to Adelaide for Age Nationals, which I'm there for like nine days. And then, as I said, we're getting in a motorhome and we're national lampooning it around somewhere. So God God help us with that. And then uh, yourself, Shannon, you're know you gearing up for for Open Nationals as well and and that's a busy time and you've got to start to to knuckle down into that as well. So, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a break. Uh, When we're back, I can't tell you. If we're back, who knows, we're just going to leave it. We're just going to leave it to your uh, imagination and and hopefully people start asking for it back, mate, and and we'll see how we go. But uh, I I just wanted to thank you for starters uh, for saying yes to this. You didn't want to do it. and I don't mean it in a bad way. You you wanted to come on off the blocks as a guest. And he said, "Oh, I'll come on a couple of times. I don't mind. I just, I'll just, I don't want, you know, you, you run the show. And I said, no, no, people want to hear your stories. That's, that's why I wanted to do it. And um, I think uh, I'm, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad you said yes. And I, I think, as you said uh, a few weeks ago uh, with all the coaches coming up and saying, thank you. And we've had some great feedback with people reaching out to us recently as well. And, uh, I think we've been proven correctly in terms of uh, people wanting to hear those stories. And uh, it's it's all helpful, and that's why we do it. We don't get paid for this, for anybody asking. We don't. I think a few people have asked me before, like, how much money do you make out of the pot? Zero. Zero dollars. And, um, and, but that's not why we do it. Um, we, we do it because we want to help people selfishly. Shannon and I do it. Shannon loves a chat and I love picking his brain as well. So I, I'm very fortunate that I get to sit in this seat every week. But, um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you, Shannon, because, uh, without you saying yes, there is no Shannon Rollison podcast and we're not up to episode 20. Yeah. No. And, uh,
1: and, uh, thanks to you, Robbie. You know, like, uh, I, I heard, the other day it was just advice and stuff. And, and um, I actually need to give it to my son because uh, unfortunately he's probably a bit too much like me and just says no to things. Um, and when you say yes to things, new things happen, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm glad I said, yes, uh, it's been good. Um, I enjoy the, uh, the off, you know, uh, meandering through uh, different topics, um, which is, yeah, I'm about to talk to, to Dave, hopefully. Um,
0: Again, and, yeah, uh, fingers crossed.
1: Yeah, and we haven't, that, you know, we've got a few things we want to ask him, but we'll see where that goes. And that's sort of the way I like to do it, which is a bit like my coaching style. I mm. think uh, the messier it is, the better I coach. Um, and, uh, yeah, well, that doesn't always work, but, yeah, um, it's uh probably closer to the way i am you know um but no it's been good all the best for you and your squad and everyone else at age nationals um and uh yeah i think it's going to be a busy meet you know some b finals which i think is good those 50s and 100s uh i think it's good for the sport uh it's you know good for the parents and the swimmers not just to get a a morning swim and you know, there's be a lot of swimmers there will need to do a PB in the morning to reach the final. Yep. And uh, they may just fall short, you know, even after swimming a PB in that morning, and they get a second opportunity to swim faster again at night. And we all know that's an easier thing to do um, a nighttime swim. So I think it's only a good thing for the sport and retaining people in the sport of swimming. Um, and they see that they get a bit of a bit more value out of the meat. Mm. So, uh, and if you know, probably one last thing: if something goes wrong, get back up. Mm. You know, the, the, and the next day can be better than the last. And you know, uh, that's where you really see your worth as a coach and being able to turn a uh, a swimmer who's not swimming well, turn them around, you know, and you'll, that's the challenge. And um, if you have a a, a meet and it all goes swimmingly, (laughs) pardon the punch, uh, that's great, but there's probably more opportunity for you as a coach if there's a few things that go wrong because, um, you'll learn a lot more from them and then those things that you learn you'll be able to take with you you know
0: on your journey yeah absolutely mate great advice and uh, as i said all the coaches listening and we do know there's a lot of coaches from new south wales swimming and probably down in canberra as well but also overseas so um that that advice stretches across the pond as well for whatever meets are coming up um so yeah thank you to all the listeners as well um this is 20 episodes it's been and you guys have um, we've slowly been building a bit of a following mate so it's always hard to start from scratch I mean similar to the beers we just talked about you don't just jump off the you don't just jump off the page to number one and uh, you certainly don't just jump off the first episode to having uh, you know thousands of people listening, but we're we're slowly building that audience, and we do have a core group of of loyal listeners, which I want to say thank you to as well. As I said, we don't do it for the cash; we just do it because we want to be uh, helpful and and helpful to the coaching community and the swimming community. This one, more in particular, the Shannon Rollison podcast. We, you know, this is very specific to the coaches out there and. Uh, I, I'm so glad that they've been enjoying it, mate. And as I said, I've had the, the easiest and the best seat in the house to be able to sit here and listen to you, you know, have your chats with those coaches and, and Tani White was on as well. And, you know, we've we've been I've been very fortunate. So thank you to Shannon. Thank you to the listeners. Um, as I said, when we're back, who knows? If we're back, who knows? We'll leave it as that. Uh, thank you very much and uh, we'll catch you all next time.
1: Thanks, Robbie. All the best, everyone, and see you on pull
0: Deck. Nico and the team at Pro Swim Workouts have been supporters of the podcast from day one and continue to support the show and the coaching community more broadly with their platform, proswimworkouts.com. Head over to the website right now and become a member to receive all the exclusive content, whether it's programming, in and out of the water, thought-provoking articles, or even just sharing of ideas. It is a one-stop shop. And for all those just looking to browse, head over to proswimworkouts.com to find free workouts, podcast tips, jobs available, and so much more. So what are you waiting for? I'll say it one more time. Head over to proswimworkouts.com right now and let Nico know that Off The Block sent you.